Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is The Athletic's Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast, Aaron Portsline with you on a, oh, what is this, Wednesday afternoon, training camp starts tomorrow, that's right, actual hockey starts tomorrow, that will be a welcomed uh, return to normal, is it normal, can it be normal, what a mess in, in Columbus, Ohio, the last week or so, um, the Mike Babcock controversy fiasco, uh, take, take your pick there. Uh, we had a story today on the uh, website. Was this something that can fra- will fracture the Blue Jackets dressing room? I'm sure there were some tough conversations. Players had put their opinions out there that quite obviously uh, differed with with others in the room. Now, in fairness to Boone Jenner, Zach Wierenski, and and Johnny Gaudreau, others who spoke in the early part of that investigation, they did speak only of their own experiences, and in that in that since they were put in a very awkward position because it looks like they disagreed with their uh, teammates, when in fact it really wasn't them disagreeing with their teammates. It was more uh, a case of them not knowing the full truth that had yet to be revealed. So, uh, you know, we have, um, we've taken great care with the story. I know some people don't like the the tone or the tenor. Just let me explain a, a couple things if we could. In the early going, uh, I think we, we took great care not to say Paul Bissonnette is crazy and wrong. We made it abundantly clear that he stood by his, his story. Uh, and that it's quite possible he he does obviously have incredible connections throughout the league as a former player and now a TV analyst. We also 
it's part of our job to give the people who are accused of things their space. So, of course, we're going to give Mike Babcock a statement, the, the light of day. Of course, we're going to quote Boone Jenner and Wierenski and, and Yarmo Kekalainen. Um, it didn't mean that, that, that we, our early stories were, here's what we know. Here's what both sides are saying, because that's all we really knew. Uh, there was much reporting that went on. Only some of it can, can be uh, shown the light of day. You hear a lot of things, a lot of this, a lot of that. <coughs> but the story changed at midweek, and you started to hear uh, different comments from people. And I think the ultimate, uh, the ultimate uh, thing to consider here is that the right thing happened. Mike Babcock does, does not deserve to coach in the NHL, does not deserve to coach the Blue Jackets. You cannot treat people that way. You have no right to treat people that way. That is bullying. Now, a good question is, were the interactions between uh, players, the veteran players, different from the interactions with rookie players? Were they just perceived to be different or were they truly different? I'm led to believe they were truly different. Um, and so that that's why you heard different things from veteran players early in the week. I got the sense they said all the right things, that this room is galvanized. I, I think that that is a a um, a strong possibility because if you've ever been through a very tough time, a difficult time within your family in your life, you know how you can come out or, or with your spouse or however it works. You know you can come out on the other side uh, really with a, a sharper understanding of each other, really with a um, a better feeling where everybody stands and, and you can explain yourself. And I think I get the sense that that's what happened. So Pascal Vincent, one quick uh, thought on him. He was deemed uh, to be a real close candidate when Brad Larson got the job. That's why he was hired here as an associate. He was deemed a consideration when Mike Babcock got the job, but they felt at the time that they needed a veteran voice. I think you could, you could look at the situation and, and agree that maybe the, the higher in the earlier part of this summer was not right for a first time coach in the NHL, uh, given where this team was and just sort of all of the pieces that have to fit together. But it's strange how these things happen. And now that this club has been through this, I think you can look at Pascal Vincent and say, well, you know what? Maybe this is the right guy now, maybe because of what they've gone through. Pascal Vincent is a very a real comfortable communicator. I hope you got that. Uh, just listening to his press conference, maybe you've heard him talk in uh, that setting before. He's a very well-spoken, very thoughtful, um, articulate, and he's, he's an insightful man. He's very highly regarded across the NHL. He's certainly capable as an NHL coach. I don't know if he's the right guy for the job. I think it makes a lot of sense that he is. But let's wait and see. Um, we can get into all of this. I'll, I'll, I'll answer any questions you've got about our coverage or any thoughts on the Babcock situation. I'm sure you, some people are dead tired of that and are ready for actual hockey, which we'll, we'll get into tomorrow when the start of training camp. We can talk about the center depth on this team. We can talk, uh, you know, D pairs, all the, all these things we don't really have answers to yet. That'll be part of the interesting, uh, aspects of tomorrow. And, uh, but we can talk about anything. So let's bring it on. There's much to talk about. It's been a long summer. It's been a very curious end of the summer. Um, let's go first to Paul B. Paul B is live on the Athletics Front of Nationwide podcast. Paul B, go ahead. How are you? Porty, welcome back. 
Hey, thanks, man. Hopefully, you've been able to catch a nap or two the last uh, last week. <laughs> yeah, not really- the last week, but before that, for sure. What's going on, man? Well, I, uh, you guys did a great job reporting on the story. I thought it was uh, handled, like you said, it was handled well and and appropriately. Um, you know, I don't want to get into what Mike Mike Babcock did. He's, you know, Babcock's going to be Babcock. It's it's hard for a tiger to change its stripes. I, you know, I think they say, and. I think it's more important to kind of get into a little bit, you know, who put the guy in the place to do that. Um, and I'm curious, were the Yarmo and, and John, when they were going through this process of hiring him, were they naive or, you know, unaware of the potential shit storm that, you know, followed this guy around? Cause you know, when it, yeah when this stuff came out, it mean, it went absolutely haywire and I don't know if they necessarily prepared for it or if they thought, Hey, it's been three and a half years. Maybe it's, you know, all is going to be forgotten about. Um, and, and clearly it wasn't. And then the, and then the other thing is, you know, they really pressed home the fact that they did their due diligence. They talked to a lot of people and they brought up Ken Hitchcock and Dave King's name. But I wonder if they ever talked to the people that came out, have come out publicly like Chris Chelios and, and others about Babcock's behavior in the past, the negative side of it. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that. You can say now that their due diligence, whatever it was, it wasn't uh, diligent enough. Clearly, it wasn't. Now, I'm like a lot of people. I believe in second chances, depending upon what the hell the, ended the first chance, honestly. And I would have to have been really, really persuaded that Mike Babcock was the only guy that could do this to make that hire, right? And I also think you can question who they talked to. Did they only talk to people who liked Mike Babcock? That's not really due diligence. That's 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 getting approval. Um. And they, they owned a lot of this. I, I, well, I wouldn't say owned it. They acknowledged some of this in, in the press conference. Um, you know, it just, I, I've said this for a while. The stuff with the, the, the telling of the Mitch Marner story, it's just a, I, I can't imagine any coach at any level thinking that any part of that is a good idea. It, it's beyond my comprehension like that is completely insane even as a guy that's never coached i know that pitting one player against the rest of the room is just effing stupid um unless you're trying to bury that guy and but even then be a grown-up and adult and a human being and and approach things the right way so that would give me great pause the way that mike babcock is known to have treated quote the little people, if you will, the people who have no bearing on his life, concession workers, rink workers in, in Detroit. That's pretty ugly to me. And I, I don't know who you talk to uh, to get that kind of stuff. But there's just a lot of things here to be concerned about when you make the hire. But he, he's obviously a hockey coach on some level and knows what he's doing. He puts in the work. You can say that. But there's a lot of people. Pascal Vincent puts in the work. Um, a lot of people are willing to do that. So they need to take a, uh, a hard look. They said they've learned lessons through this. You would hope that one of the lessons is 
that due diligence isn't just finding enough people to agree with you on something. It's actually getting into the nitty gritty about who somebody is. And, um, you know, it's a good question who in that front office really was first and foremost in on hiring uh, Babcock. Did anyone push against it that is right now being a good soldier and taking a lot of grief for it? Uh, we don't know the answers to that, but but you, you hear things and maybe that will develop over time. But um, yeah, this is this is an embarrassing um, an embarrassing turn of events for the for the franchise that frankly has does not need this. They've been so poor on the ice. The 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 the, the minor wishes that they could get hope get things right off of it, uh, and that needs to, to that's going to take some some years to get back on top of. I would think. Um, but yeah, this absolutely calls into question what their, uh, what their thought process is. Uh, we're going to go next to Jeff G and then we're going to go to James and Eli. Jeff, you are on front nationwide. Go ahead, please. Hey Aaron. Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to be a question or just laying some thoughts out here, but, uh, sure. Sure. this team has well-documented issues with being able to hang on to highly touted players. Um, now we have Adam Fantilli in the fold, who is a, obviously a very bright prospect. And my concern right off the bat is being able to hold on to this guy long-term. Yeah. And yeah. I just don't see, I'm worried that he's jaded from this already. I have a feeling that his, um, he had some experience. He was one of the players that had a particularly negative experience with Babcock. Um, I think Mike Commodore hinted to that a little bit from what I've been reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. is, is there any concern for Adam Fantilli in this well, situation? I have, I have lots of, lots of thoughts on this and this, this gets into our coverage a little bit. Um, we have been, we have gone, and I, there may be something in our, some people in our business that would take exception to this. The Blue Jackets have gone to great lengths, players and management. And I think this is the right step. None of the players who had these interactions with Babcock have been identified. They've been hinted at to your, as you, as you mentioned, um, it's vitally important, I think, to protect and foster these young players in the right way. They are grownups. They can handle themselves, but the, the ugly part of this is I, I and I still see it in the comment section. There's lots of people who see this as, Oh, Players today are just soft and can't handle it. And that is such bullshit. That's not what this is. This is not feelings being hurt. This is privacy being invaded by your boss. That's unacceptable in any workplace. And the last thing that the young players need is that hanging on their resume that they got a coach fired, in some cases, before they even played in the NHL. It would be completely unfair. And so... Uh, you know, who knows if it was if it was Fantilli, if it was the other young players on the team, the Blue Jackets are right to protect them at all costs, I, I believe. Um, bullies know who they can bully. And the interactions with the young players were different than they were with the older players. So, and let me also tell you this, I spent a lot of time with the Fantilli family in Traverse City. Uh, not a lot of time. That sounds like we had lunch and had a, a sleepover. <laughs> I, I chatted with them on numerous occasions in, in Traverse City. They're great. The, the mom is uh, so excited was was absolutely flabbergasted that a fan there had a sign that said i love adam fantilli or whatever it said she said i can't believe someone made a sign for him already and i said 
you do realize there are people in Columbus wearing the number 11 sweater. She was like, really? Anyways, the, the, the uh, father Giuliano is over the moon excited. They love Columbus. They've been to Lindy's. Um, Adam loves Columbus. Absolutely loves it. Uh, has lived with, with Patrick Line. How cool is that of Line to take him under his wing? And, uh, you know, so it, they, they insist that everything is super, super positive with, 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 um, Fantilli right now. So I, I'm not going to look ahead. He's, he's going to be in club control for seven years. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the kid play and not truly worried about any long term. I think it's, I think it's good right now. You know what, Jeff? They did the right thing. They made a huge mistake. They've acknowledged the mistake and they did the right thing. I would think, uh, you know, if, if you're Adam Fantilli, he seems good to go. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to see him play. And I think, I think they can move past this. I think, I think the sooner they move past it, uh, the better. The James, better. James, James, you were on fun and nationwide. Uh, thanks for joining us. Go ahead. please. Hey, Portsy. Um, I'm hoping that this is the last that I actually have to talk or think about, you know, whatever yeah, happened this yeah. summer, we can focus on hockey going forward, but to kind of close the chapter, like, so with the, when, when JD and Yarmo spoke to the media on Monday, Two things stuck out to me. Um, one is that the it seems that there's not a lack of trust or comfort between players and the front office because they both said that, you know, it's a player's thing. And, you know, sometimes they don't feel comfortable, you know, coming to sure. the front office. To me, that reeks of a concern within the organization in that, you know, there's not that level of trust. There's not that level of openness. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. where your players like that's that's a big red flag. You know, I what your thoughts on that. And the second point being um, at the end, Michael race uh, asked about uh, whether J.D. knew exactly what the allegations were. And quite honestly, he just him hawed and, you know, said it was a player's issue. One, how how do you fire a guy and not exactly know what the issue is? And then two, I'm assuming he knows what it is, but he probably just couldn't say it. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and, and part of this is just not wanting to air more dirty laundry. It's been plenty dirty laundry aired already. Uh, but the other thing was sort of part of the previous question. They don't want to bring, they don't want to say the young players uh, were the ones that were nailed here. And we're assuming that that's just the young players. Could be other players with a tenuous grip on a job. Uh, players who have to, uh, you know, who would see significant power to the coach. Um, yeah, they, they don't want to go there. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I, I'm with you. And this was, I think, the third or fourth paragraph of my column that it's, it, it, if you say that uh, the players were more comfortable talking to the PA or people close to Bissonette and more comfortable talking to them than they were to you, that is worrisome. Um, I, I think there's some room there for understanding it in, in a way. Sometimes if you have serious issues in your life, it's easier to talk to somebody you don't know. Uh, sometimes it's easier to go to somebody who doesn't have control over you. But if I'm Yarmo Kekalainen, and, and we've heard these these comments before, that there is a 
a bit of a wall between him and the players. It's not a that he's. I don't know if it's he he is standoffish to them or if they feel like like it's not a personal relationship. But yeah, the weird thing is you're always also doing business with the GM. Like at some point you're going to negotiate a contract with the GM. So. Do you want to tell the GM that you've got this going on in your pro- like it, it is a kind of a mess. And, and one that's thing I'll say coming out the NHLPA appears to have taken a different tack with this. And under the new leader, Marty Walsh, this is a really, really strong commentary to his players, his union members, if you will, that they do have their best interest in mind. That it's not just star players they're worried about. It's not just sort of making everything feel comfortable with the league relationship-wise. No, no. They're going to get to the bottom of these things, and they're going to be proactive and aggressive in getting to the truth. Um, and so I think that's something we can we can read into this as a very, a very positive development. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game-changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Uh, Eli, you're next on the front and nationwide podcast. Welcome aboard. What can I say? Hi. Um, so I just want to say that, and I know I'm not alone in this opinion, I really did not like the Mike Babcock hire. Um, and so seeing, you know, the way this fiasco ended has been kind of vindicating, honestly. And I think it's um or could be a really important inflection point in the organization's culture uh you know moving to pascal vincent but i just i'm a little bit concerned that you know given the circumstances vincent isn't going to be given a real chance um if he doesn't find success immediately um now i know that you know he's not an interim head coach and he's been given a two-year deal but I'm just seeing on Twitter, you know, a lot of Babcock den editors who are already furious, um, you know, and are, are going to blame him and the organization if things don't go well this season. That's really well, all I have to say. Well, yeah, well, Eli, immediately Pascal Vincent goes in, into the hot seat. That, that's kind of what NHL coaching is. But this is a difficult situation for him, obviously. Um, well, I mean, the people that are defending Babcock, I have no idea where where how you've arrived at that decision um but i to me go scream in the wilderness because the 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 proof here is overwhelming and and all of those who thought it was a terrible hire at the time take your victory dance go for it um i'll say this i think pascal vincent is a very capable nhl head coach i can't say if he's the right guy for the job only only time will tell um i think the players in that room respect him I think the players in that room have been through a lot with Pascal, and I think they are motivated to make this work for him. Now, what that looks like long-term, I cannot say. I don't think anybody can. Um, But 
I think they're damn fortunate that Pascal Vincent didn't go somewhere else in the NHL this year. He did have options. Uh, he was interviewed, I should say. Um, so they got a, a bit of a break there, but I'm, I'm, uh, I, I guess I, I just, if, if you're still hanging on to the fact that firing Mike Babcock was unfair, I, I don't really, I don't know that you're not really somebody I wish to have a conversation with. Um, I'll listen uh, if you've got a point and you want a response to it, but you know, not much more than that. I, I would say, um, it's time to move on. And, and I, I you know, people keep saying he's not going to end up in the NHL again. I don't, I mean, God, I would hope not, but, but, uh, who knows? Lucas, you're next on front and nationwide. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? Good, man. What's up? Okay. I uh, asked this in the chat, but uh, one of the points I've heard all summer is how important it was to have someone with fresh eyes view the team. Yeah. Does that perspective uh, not change, or does it change with Vincent being to carry over from the previous regime? Or obviously, well, yeah, well, I mean, they're not in a fresh bad eyes. situation. Yeah, yeah, they're not fresh eyes. Clearly, these this uh, this is a coach that has existing relationships and existing views on players. So you know, here we go. Isn't it interesting when when the Blue Jackets hired Babcock? I, 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 you know, I'm not saying I thought Babcock was the right hire, but I understood their desire for a veteran coach. Um, as unsettled as things were, as, as many questions as there were, as, um, as many things as needed to get organized here, I thought it was, I, I understood that thinking, put it that way. <laughs> Just given the events of the last week, Pascal Vincent now seems, now seems to make a little more sense given all that's occurred here. He's a guy that I think players are comfortable communicating with. And I'll be curious to see what changes with, with, with Pascal. It's a good question for him because, you know, the associate coach has a far different role than the head coach. And you wonder if he now, if the players now will see a different Pascal Vincent in terms of he's, he's the guy in the big chair now. Not that he's going to handle it inappropriately, but, but he's just, he's now the guy, the decision maker. Um, so. You know, that bears watching, but I, I think he's a capable coach. It's not fresh eyes, uh, but I still think there's so much that's changed roster-wise with Fantilli and Voronkov, with uh, Cam Severson and, and Provorov. With, you know, that, that's a significant add for different players. There's going to be some lineup juggling. It's going to be interesting to see what they look like, but it, it is not fresh eyes. You're uh, you're right to say that. We'll go to, to Philip T. in a moment. Let's get through some chat questions if we could. Uh, thanks for joining us, Lucas. Um, we'll start with, this is always the dice. Patrick D. says, it's widely known after Yarmo hired Torts and Larson. That his third hire would be his last. Yeah, well, it was said as much, yes. Not only was Yarmo's third hire a complete disaster, it utterly embarrassed the Blue Jackets organization. Uh, it failed a, a Babcock background check twice once they hired him and twice when they, they failed to properly investigate and it put two players Jenner and Gaudreau in truly awful positions uh, how does Yarmo and his extensive network that uh, basically how does Yarmo keep his job so um, let's see uh, you know I think part of this was answered I, I think it would be mighty disruptive to hire a new coach and a new GM three days before training camp. So I think they're right to tap the brakes on that. But if you read that ownership statement, it was pretty clear that uh, that they now have Yarmo Kekalainen and John Davidson on notice, that results are now expected. Enough of the uh, growing back into this again. 
you know, the leash shortens when you go through something like this. There's no question. So, um, hey, look, if if the Blue Jackets are are completely out of it by the trade deadline, do does management here let Yarmo Kekalainen run another trade deadline? Good question. If they finish uh, way out of the playoffs again this year, does he survive uh, and, and keep his job? Really good question. What is the expectation this year? What are the expectations on the ice? Look, the Eastern Conference has a lot of good, strong veteran teams. It also has a lot of young teams that are really starting to mature. You think of Buffalo, you think of Ottawa, teams really on the rise. Um, the Metro's a bear. So I don't think, I'm not sure if playoffs are the demand. Uh, that's a huge improvement from one year to the next. Uh, but yes, I, I think 10 years in, you can say that Yarmo Kekalainen uh, is on the watch list. And, you know, if you want to get technical here, um, he promoted Pascal to Vincent to head coach. He didn't hire him. <clears throat> um, let's see. Chad East says, any word on new assistant? coach replacing Vincent. Uh, not yet. I think that's something that they're considering. It makes sense to me. Um, and it, again, this could be a difficult time to hire from the outside, but I could also look at that bench and think I want an NHL proven guy. I, I mentioned this on Twitter. I think Mark, the test makes a lot of sense if you want to go in house, but for a first time head coach with a assistant coach, um, you may want a, a guy that's been a head coach before. Just a thought. I, I don't know they're thinking on that, but I think the wheels are turning. Um, let's see. James T says, uh, CBJ have been most successful under a disciplinarian type. Hitchcock torts. Larson let the inmates run the asylum. And Pascal actually controlled the room and be that disciplinarian that I think they need. Uh, James, I'll answer this in the, the least sports radio way possible. I don't know. And we'll just have to see. I can't answer that. I think. I think guy. I think coaches um, motivate in different ways. I don't think it all has to be um, the torts way. I don't think it, it can be that way if, you're, if it's not natural to you. I don't think it can be the Hitchcock way for everybody. It can be multiple different ways. Um, just look around the league at some of the teams that are really, really good. How does Tampa Bay stay motivated, right? He's not a screamer. He's not a screamer. Um, he's not a softy either. There's a lot of different ways to do this. A lot of different ways. Um, George M says, Porter, you're, you're back. In fact, I am. Thanks for the in-depth reporting. You were a voice of patience for the Babcock hiring at first. When did you get wind that things were untenable? Um, honestly, I, I would say, the, first of all, the, the Bizonet, I saw the, a clip on Twitter of Bizonet talking about Babcock and the cell phones and immediately sent a text off to the Blue Jackets. What can you say about this? Any validity to this? I texted a few players about this. That was a that was a, an indication of something. I didn't know what to believe at first. When you found out that the PA was coming to Columbus to talk to players because they knew there were some things to be said, um, that's really when the alarm started going off, and you could see the this, this story snowball from there. I think our coverage of Mike Babcock was um, fair. I think. It, I don't think he liked it at the start, the, the initial press conference. Of course, it's going to go that way. Um, I had some interactions with him that were as steel and steely and unfriendly as any I've ever had with a coach. Uh, I mean, a coach I'm working with, you know, going to work with full time. 
Um, but you, I still was willing to give that time to, to develop. I understood him being, um, you know, sort of wondering in the short term, if every interview is going to go a certain way. Um, but yeah, it, 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 um, there's, there was, uh, there were things going on behind this, this, the, uh, the surface that, uh, we didn't realize. And I said this, uh, in the column I wrote, I don't write many columns, but I did. Um, I mean, it, it, Paul Bissonnette did them a huge favor. I know that they're probably not really happy with him, <laughs> which is how this always works, but that's ridiculous. He did them a huge favor. Imagine if this would have festered into the season. My God, imagine the other things this guy would have tried. So as, as tough as this is, um, I, I, it needed to happen when it did happen. And uh, yeah, that's the way she goes. Uh, we'll get back to the uh, to the stage in a second. Mallory is waiting by patiently, or I assume patiently. We'll get a couple other text questions, and then we'll go to, to uh, Mallory. Uh, Jonathan C. says, in your opinion, did you think Yermo took enough responsibility? Um, you know what? I didn't like, I didn't like him complimenting Mike Babcock for his professionalism. I don't know what the conversations were like during the resignation process, but maybe we could, uh, drop the flattery for a few minutes. Um, this was a, a horrible hire that, that backfired horribly. And yeah, I thought JD was, was a little more, um, impressive than Yarmo was. And it looked, it looked at times like Yarmo was reading off of a statement, which I would understand. I'm sure it was well-crafted to say certain things, but, and I think he feels this. I do. Cause I think Yarmo at the core is a good person. I think this was a, a terrible foul ball. And I think it, it causes him to, um, sort of rearrange his, his, uh, thinking. Um, so, uh, Lucas says one of the points I've heard all summer is how important it was that someone with fresh eyes is on this team. Yeah. Lucas, I think we may have taken that on the stage. Um, Evan C says, what does it say about the NHLPA and CBJ player leadership that players didn't go to them before biz? Um, yeah, let, let me say, I don't know. I don't think the players went directly to biz. I think the players, uh, expressed themselves with people they already knew. And let, let's, let me be clear with this. Players aren't here all summer. And some of these interactions that were, were so beyond a reasonable interaction between coach and player occurred at Mike Babcock's residence in Michigan at his tiki bar. Yes. Tiki bar, uh, in his backyard on a lake. Okay. So did the players leave those interactions and say, Oh shit, I got to tell Boone this. I don't think Adam fan. I don't think it's anything against Boone Jenner, but I don't think Adam Fantilli really knows Boone Jenner that well. I'm sure he got text messages right after he got drafted. I'm sure he met him, but he told this to somebody he was comfortable with, clearly. And those players uh, or other players, I'm not saying it was Fantilli, it could have been anybody, uh, message players that they were comfortable with. Those players talk, players talk, and it gets back to biz through those channels, through people he knows. He knows a ton of people in the league. Obviously, he's very popular. Um, and this is how it's, it springs up. So I don't really fault that as much. You'd like for it to work that way. And if the, the players here knew each other and had existing relationships, maybe it will. Um, but I think ultimately, and that is something that I, again, I would say if I'm CBJ management, that concerns me that the lines of communication are 
not really honest as, as honest as they should be. Um, but ultimately, importantly, the right thing got done. Um, we'll come back to the chat and pick it up with D-E-R, and then we'll get to Alan and Owen. But let's go uh, to the stage now where Mallory is waiting. Uh, I've said patiently. I assume patiently. Mallory, have you been patient? I've been very patient. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think this isn't, I mean, it's a question, but let's let's sort of phrase it more as this. First off, I know nothing about Mike Babcock other than the things that I've, you know, read about him sort of around the stuff in Toronto, but it's all like just very distant. Like I'm far enough removed from what happened originally there that it's it's not like Lucky I have a preconceived notion on him. Lucky what, you. What confuses me about the way that CBJ fans are acting and all of us in general, I mean, you said, you know, take a victory lap. I think no matter which way you look at this, this is an awful, awful situation for fans. Absolutely. Like one of those things where it's like the people who had preconceived notions on Babcock, even if you despise the guy, ultimately, in my mind, I wanted it to work out just because the alternative, which is this, is humiliating for the organization, really tough on a fan base. I mean, you see fans pitted against other fans on Twitter, on, you know, social media and chat groups, whatever. Um, so my, my question is like, how as a fan base, do we stop this consistent cycle? And it was the same thing with tanking last year. It's just, I feel like no matter what CVJ fans always are fractured into this, like we're against each other rather than together, just hoping for what's best for the team. Yeah. And then the second question that I have is, um, can you talk a little bit about sort of, you know, Pascal Vincent and, what his strengths and weaknesses are like, what do you expect from him as a coach, just based on what you know about him personally? Yeah. Uh, to the first part, I, I, I would agree with, with that. I think that's, I think that's everywhere in sports now. I have, I have, uh, remarked that, that when I was younger and a sports fan, it was pure joy. It was an enjoyment for me. I, I'm not saying that the Cleveland Browns always made me happy. They didn't, they don't, but it was never, I didn't throw furniture. I, I cried when I was a kid. They lost the AFC championship games against Denver, but I didn't hate players. I didn't, it was, it was not a, it, there wasn't the vitriol in sports that I think there, there is today. Um, that's, that's, I, that's sad to me, but I don't think we're going back from it. I don't think CBJ fans are any different. Honestly, among all sports fans, I think they are about as optimistic and hope filled as any I've ever met. They, they uh, support the team when many other markets would have lost this team already. Um, th th this team does not deserve their fans as good, as great as they are. So the last thing I'm going to do is criticize, and I know you're not doing that either, but criticize Blue Jackets fans. People have different opinions on things, and that, that's that's perfectly fine. To get past all of this, this team needs to win, make the right decisions, and win. They had a decent stretch under Tortorella, and I think you saw a different vibe within the fan base. Um, now it, it's with great uncertainty that people uh, <laughs> go into a season. I think there's reason to be optimistic. I think they could be a ton better than last year, but I understand people that that uh, that you know are in prove it mode. Absolutely. As for Pascal Vincent, he is a tactician. Um, he doesn't. He's not a screamer. He's not a uh, He's a very articulate and thoughtful person. Um, I'm trying to think if the Blue Jackets have had anybody or which previous Blue Jackets coach he is most 
similar to it. I might have to think about that longer. Um, but I, he's a guy that was going to be a head coach. Very, I, I he's interviewing with other places this summer. Some have said the Rangers. Um, hey, he's he was that guy that was really bubbling to the surface. So they're they're very fortunate that he a is still here and b was still at their disposal. Um, so thanks for the question there, Mallory. Uh, D E R says, do you think Vincent puts Patty in the middle? You know, I don't know. Um, the, 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 I'm writing a thing for tomorrow that uh, questions for training camp. And that's, that's one of them. Um, not just, not just line a, but what, who's, who's moving to the wing from center? Because you've got, you've gone from a team with, with barely enough centers, uh, certainly enough capable centers to a lot of options there. Does, does Ken Johnson move to the middle eventually? Maybe not so soon, but you know, it's there. Voronkov comes over. He played on the wing in Traverse City, but he's a guy that has played some center. What do they do with Roslevic? Okay. Now you've got Fantilli who's going to play in the middle. You've got Jenner who started his career on the wing, but has moved to the center for the last four or five years. Does he move back to the wing? Where the heck do you put Jack Roslevic who's still here? Um, you've got Karali. You've got you know, Sillinger, who they think is going to have a bounce back year. So there's lots of options at the middle. Obviously, they can't all play there. Um, and when you start moving those guys to the wing, well, the wing gets pretty crowded pretty quickly. So there's some options. There's lots to consider here in Columbus. Um, the de- the defense looks completely different, too. Um, so, so uh, you know, wait and see. We'll get a, a, an early indication tomorrow when they, they hit the ice for training camp and they have groups. Uh, we can see what the lines look like, and uh, we'll, will, those will be tapped out just as quickly as our little fingers can type. So um, stay tuned. Uh, Alan C. says, with Pascal now coached, does this elevate lining as a center? Okay, we just kind of got to that one, Alan. Sorry. Uh, Owen A. says, do you see a trade of a defenseman happening before the season starts? Um, you know, I'm not going to limit that to just defensemen because they've got too many forwards too, Owen. And I, I don't know if I see a trade. I see the want for a trade, and that's been there for that's been there for a while now. Um, I think Yarmo's been trying to make a move all summer, but it's going to have to be most likely money in, money out with with for other teams because so many teams are up to the uh, up to the cap. Um, but and some things will still sh- still settle in as the uh, you know the season nears, but. The Blue Jackets would love to make a move. They are completely over, over uh, stocked with with players. Now, let, let me be clear with this, because every sometimes when you say that, people go, oh, "Yeah, right." The, the second worst team in the league just got too many players. We're not saying they've got too many bona fide NHL superstars. They've got too many players that uh, certainly appear to be NHL ready and are growing into bigger roles. So, um, there's some. There's some movement there to do. I, I think what we can we can say at this point is if you look at their pairs, you can say Wierenski's the top guy on the left. You can say Provorov's the top, second guy on the left. And you can say that Goodbranson is the top guy on the, or the, on the right side of the third pair. It, not the top guy. He's the right side on the third pair. So that leaves three spots open. Boakvist and Severson would seem the obvious choices, however you want to flip them, uh, on the right side of the first or second pair, what do you do with Yurichek? If Yurichek's ready, what does where does he come in? My guess is it'd be the first or the second pair because you don't want to elevate Branson if, if, if you, you'd like to keep him on the third pair. That leaves Peak. That leaves 
Blankenberg, that leaves Bean, uh, all fighting for that that spot next to the Branson on the third pair. For me, that's either Bean or Blankenberg. Now, what do you do with Andrew Peake, who has been a good soldier, has played more games in the, in the NHL for the Blue Jackets than any other player in the last two years? Um, I don't know what you do with that, but uh, those are the kind of things that, that training camp will answer for them. Um, and it'll be exciting to, to walk, to walk along. If you want to ask a question, we've got about 20 more minutes. We'll go here. Um, fire off the text. We've got tons of text we can get to, or you can step to the stage. Chad F says, what about projected starting lines? Holy Lord. Um, other than not knowing who the top or the second or the third or the fourth line center is, um, those are hard to go. Those are hard to go with. Um, on the, Wing, uh, you can assume Gaudreau's the, the top line left winger. You can assume that, that Patty Line is somewhere in that top six, probably on the right side. Um, what do you do with Johnson? Is he in the center? Is he on the wing? Where's Marchenko? Um, lots of, lots of variables. I, I, I think to say that this, that they are unsettled going into training camp sounds like a derogatory statement. I don't think it is. It's just there's so many answers here, so many questions to answer here. Um, that I, I can't remember a training camp that had this many uncertainties other than the first one in franchise history. Matthew B says, who stood out the most in Traverse City and who underwhelmed the most in your opinion? Underwhelmed would be uh and let me let me let me uh be clear here. I, I watched probably as little of the prospects as I've ever watched because of the Babcock stuff. Uh, constantly stepping out to get a, a self sell signal constantly um, doing stuff on the Babcock story. So I did watch the first game on Thursday. I watched part of the game on Saturday. I missed almost all of Sunday's game. Uh, the The player that stood out was Fantilli, was was um, Dumay. These guys were, wow. Uh, Matej Chuck looked completely out of his league in a good way. Uh, Fantilli looked awesome. And that it needs to be said, that that's incredible in its own right because – this is a really tough, tough level. Um, and 18 year olds rarely come here and look, uh, head, head and shoulders above the rest. That's not an, that's not an easy thing to do. You've got 22 year olds, 23 year olds. He's on a line with the guy from Russia, Baronkov, who's played parts of four pro seasons in a men's pro league. Um, so, and it looked just absolutely dazzling. So. That's that's a real bright sign for the Blue Jackets' future. That kid is special. Uh, who underwhelmed? You know what? I'll say this: it's a guy that I've I've come to bat for many times because I, I I've liked his game. I really didn't notice Martin Rysabi as a as a difference maker, and and he should have been at this level as many times as he's been to this tournament. He was okay. He was just okay to me. Another guy I should mention is very impressive was James Malatesta. Um, he's a player. And, and boy, I tell you, Cleveland's going to be a hell of a team this year, too. And Malatest is that guy you look at and you go, boy, he is going to play his way to the league. Uh, you know, I'm not sure many people expect that from a, what was he, a fifth rounder? That kid's going to play in the league. Um, I can tell you that. Um, Austin H. says, um, looking back, isn't it silly how much hand-wringing and sweating was done at the draft lottery just for us to land Fantilli anyways? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll look back on that draft someday and really, really marvel at it. Um, nobody expected him to fall to three. Incredible. Um, 
with the vast, this is from Jesse S., with the vast majority of coverage, RECBJ on Fantilli and Babcock's resignation. What are the top one, two offseason signings that we should look forward to? Well, I think the two biggies, uh, if you're if you're pushing Fantilli to the side, the, the two most notable will be on defense with Cam Severson uh, and Ivan Provorov. I mean, that, that is the back end that was just completely unsettled for really two years. Um, and Wierenski's back now, too. So you've got half of the blue line intact that wasn't there last year i'm not sure what provorov and severson will look like in their first year it's not always an easy adjustment to a new team uh, but these are veteran minutes eating defensemen um so I, I think you can expect much more controlled play in the defensive zone and that that's a huge thing if i'm elvis merzlikens i i'm telling the blue jackets no christmas gifts this year you've done enough in the summer um his life should be made significantly easier now it's up to him to perform but they've done really the best thing you can do for a struggling goaltender is to give him a completely new look around him uh mitchell h says hang on let me get a drink here i'm not a professional broadcaster i am but a wordsmith hold on okay mitchell h says i think a big concern is players feeling more comfortable going to biz to share in the podcast yeah we we talked about this um, I hope that was part of the meeting that Yarmo Kekalainen has. Now, I'm old enough to know that you can't tell someone to trust you and come to you with their issues. They have to feel that. And so that's on him. Um, and I think that's part, it is a concern going forward. And if that's him, I, I just, I, I don't know what you do because I don't know how that relationship is at this moment. At this moment, I don't know how you adjust from there, but that, you would, I would think that that's something that really concerns him and, and he hopes can change. Tony A says, if Pascal Vincent is such a great catch, then why didn't he get the head job before? Don't you agree that we need a head coach with head coaching experience? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I get your point, Tony, and, and that's that's the obvious uh, the obvious thought here is he wasn't good. At, he wasn't their choice the first two times, so. It, you know, why is he the choice now? Well, the, this is a much different scenario. Um, this is a different scenario than I think they'll, they ever could have imagined confronting, never will again, God willing. Um, so I think stability became a, a real um, desire. So, and he's in-house, he's here. Let's be clear here too. I'm not sure what they had to pay Mike Babcock to go away. Uh, but if I'm ownership, I'm not too keen on, uh, they're still paying. Are they still paying Brad? No, they're not still paying Brad Larson. I'm not keen on paying uh, a huge ticket for yet another coach. Uh, Pascal Vincent's a guy they know. That seems to make a lot of sense to me. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a great hire. He may be Brad Larson 2.0, Tony, to your point. Um, you may be. Let's let's wait and see. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I know the answer to that already. I don't. Um, let's see. I'm trying to get to questions that haven't been asked before. Oh, Johnny H says, any plans to repost your things on Threads for those of us who long ago quit Twitter slash X? I moved to Threads when I saw you create an account, but you don't use it. Yeah, this is the embarrassing uh, thing, Johnny. I got to threads because I wanted to see where it would go. Um, 
I haven't even really looked at how you use it. At Twitter, as much as it's uh, gotten like progressively worse, um, it's still what I'm most familiar with. And I've got some other stuff going on where I haven't had a ton of summer time this summer to look at it. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm not ruling it out, but I'm just kind of there as a holding place. I, I can't say I'm going to be there anytime soon, but it, it could, it could be that, uh, James D says, can you elaborate on what actually happened with the player or players in question with Babcock? Uh, we'll get to Scott and GR in the chat room in a moment. Um, well, I'm not going to get into to the the details that I have not been um, that have been shared with me in a way that that can't be passed along. People are, as I said, are looking to protect people, but um, it, it appears that that the interactions with some players were, "Hey, show me some pictures. Let's let's get to know each other." Ha ha. With other players, it was, "Give me your phone. I want to see what kind of player you are." That's how it was passed along by Bissonnette. Shouldn't we believe Biz at this point with this story? I mean, come on. Um, so, you know, the players felt completely uh, unempowered to to say no. They felt it's a bullying tactic. They were bullied. And so you can't treat people that way, James, uh, straight up. That's not something you would allow your boss to do. That's not something anybody would, would be comfortable with. Um, so that's where we're at. Um, Bradford H says, Chicklets clarified there was not CBJ players that went to Bissonette. I believe they insinuated it was a former player who had experienced this in Toronto. And had, yeah, right. Um, have the CBJ requested an exemption for Jordan Dumais? Uh, it's a great question, TOJ or TOJ. That's the story I was planning to write on Saturday for Sunday. And then, well, you know what happened. That's the story I've got in the can. Matejchuk is in the same situation too. Now he may not be. Well, no, I, I, I guess he is. He's he's basically played his way out of the Western Hockey League, just as Dumais as the Q. Um, and in talking to Yarmo Kekalainen, that's something that they're considering. They've looked at the Shane Wright situation where he did get an exemption. I think his situation is a little bit different. Um. However, Dumais played more games in junior than Shane Wright did. So um, the sense I got, and this will be part of the story, I shouldn't ruin my story perhaps, but is that Yarmo Kekalainen and his staff are going to look at Dumais and Matejchuk in camp and see that the exemption would be to play in the American Hockey League. They can play in the NHL now. I don't think anybody sees the spot for them right now in the NHL. But it would be great for their development to go to the AHL and not have to go back to junior. If they see in training camp that these guys are really, really ready for pro hockey, then that's something that they may try. And the, the, the Shane Wright uh, might be their best argument for that. I mean, how can you say no to this guy or yes to this guy and no to us? Um, there's the situation with Savoy in Buffalo too, where that, that is a consideration. So I would say, stay tuned. That's something that we're looking at and, uh, something that they could, uh, pursue as the summer moves along. Um, let's go to Scott G. Uh, Scott, you are now on the front nationwide podcast. Go ahead, please. Hey, Porty. Um, I'm hoping to take us back to one of the better days of CBJ history and that let's was the draft. Yeah. yeah. Um, you had just said that no one expected expected Fantilli to fall to three. 
Yep. However, um, the morning of the draft, I think we saw some tweets start to come out that said Anaheim was uh, leading Leo Carlson. And so, yeah. like, I'm wondering, like, where those where that rumor sort of comes from um, and, like, kind of what it what it was like on the ground. Like, yeah. Seeing those things kind of ramp up. And then ultimately, how um, confident were you that Anaheim was indeed going to take Leo Carlson when they actually took the stage? Well, if I were truly confident, I would have tweeted what I had been hearing the hour and a half or hour before the draft that Anaheim was going Carlson. I I couldn't, I I was told it by a couple people who wouldn't know. I checked around on it and it grew and other people were hearing it, but I didn't, I couldn't believe it. Um, And I didn't have the, you know, what's to to tweet it. Anyways, um, stuff like that doesn't typically happen in the draft. Uh, for the Blue Jackets, it seems through the years that that guy falls to them. And let's see where this goes. Uh, and we may look back and say, holy smokes, Leo Carlson's a great player. Anaheim made the right pick. Um, and, and you know, I remember Yarmor Kekalainen in the early stages of this, probably May, saying that he wasn't sure that Anaheim would take Fantilli. Um, and I found that hard to believe, but his argument was they have a center in Mason McTavish who is a real puck hound, physical two-way guy. They may want a different look out of their other top center. And Carlson is the elite playmaker, the Nicholas Backstrom type. So that's what he was banking on. I thought it was really interesting that the Blue Jackets appear to have not made a huge move up the draft board uh, to secure Fantilli. And it now, obviously, we can say it was a wise move. Because they would have had to give up a to give up a lot to get a player that they ended up still getting at three. The other part that's fascinating here is I don't think the Blue Jackets would have taken Carlson at three, and so if if Fantilli had gone second, um, you know who knows where this goes. But I don't think they would have taken Carlson. So it's all very very interesting. Uh, Gr, you are now on the Front Nationwide podcast. Go ahead. Oh, hey, Aaron, can you hear me? I got you loud and clear, GR. All right, thanks. Uh, so my question is sort of regarding player development for this year uh, and who who's kind of running out of time and who needs to take the next step this year. Uh, you know, guys like Roslovic come to mind. He's kind of on, on borrowed time, it seems, with the organization. But any other guys like uh, Boquist, is this the last year for him, given the, the pipeline of uh, defensive draftees coming up, anybody else, uh, you think that this is the, the year to put up or shut up? Yeah. Well, I, I don't think, I don't think Boquist fits that uh, spot at all. Cause he's 20. He's still one of the younger defensemen they have, which is, inc- which is incredible. As long, as long as it seems like he's been around. Um, I think Boquist is still a young player. That's getting a lot better. I think the guys that fit that description, you mentioned, Roslovic, I think that's fair. I think um, Emil Bemstrom fits into that clearly. Um, yeah, I mean, guys, you know, with with Texier coming back over too, that's another player coming into the fix into the into the mix. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of guys I think on that bubble. Where, where, where does Eric Robinson get to? He's this is the last year of his contract. What's the future hold for him? Good question, uh, Liam Foodie. Re- started to emerge last year. Uh, I don't know that he's 
he's got a lockdown roster spot this year at all, but he's got to clear waivers to go to, to Cleveland. So, so would Bemstrom. So they could lose both of those guys and it may come to that. Um, what do you do with peak? If he doesn't make, if he doesn't play uh, Blankenberg can still go down without waivers. So you've got some flexibility there. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a host of, of players for, for which this is a really big year because there is a wave coming GR, as you've said. And, um, you know, you certainly don't want to let a, a young player get away, uh, for nothing. Um, but at some point, I mean, with the Bemstrom, I'm not sure what the trade value would be, um, fairly limited, I would think. Um, but, but Yarma would love to make a trade, but there's just not a lot of flexibility uh, in the league right now. So thanks for the question. Let me go rapid fire here through, um, some more questions. Uh, let's see with the rep from Rick S with the rapid upheaval going on, I'm guessing this isn't going to be the right time to lock in younger players into long-term contracts uh, to cover some of their FA years. Yeah. They've got time. I mean, Kent Johnson and Marchenko are still restricted free agent when their deals are up. There's absolutely no hurry. And if I'm Kent Johnson, I don't want to negotiate right now. I want to have a big, big year uh, with my, with my guy Fantilli, or I want to have a big year opposite, uh, Goudreau, or I want to have a big year on a line with, with, uh, line. A. I want to, I want to negotiate from a position of strength. Um, so I, I'm not worried about those deals at all. They'll still be RFAs and away we go. Um, DER says, I can't take any more Babcock. I'm out. I'm with you. Um, a guy named Aaron P who must be a good person says, can Vincent get this team to truly buy in to 100% effort every night? My biggest complaint was last season was a maddening, maddening, maddeningly consistent. Hey, Aaron, keep it to less than four syllables, please. Level of energy and work on the ice. Uh, let me say this about last year's team. It, it was a brutal season, but there were so many guys playing in the NHL that didn't, didn't belong in the NHL because of all the injuries. And most nights it was a, um, a makeshift lineup at best. That was that was an AHL team a lot of nights. Uh, Porty, do you think when Yarma met with Babcock on Saturday, they were settled on firing him, or do you think they were hoping he would release a mea culpa and they could keep him on? No, no. Uh, they they knew this wasn't about what Babcock wanted. This wasn't about what Yarma wanted. This was about what the room uh, demanded. And I don't mean directly demanded. I mean demanded by where they were with their coach already. It, it had to be done. It, and I'm sure they didn't say this, but it was resign or you will be fired. So there we go. Uh, Bradford says, what's your read on ownership statement? Can we assume that if this happened a month ago, Yarmo and JD are out? I don't know if both of them are out. I don't know if one of them is out. I think there's a greater chance one of them is out. But the timing of this was brutal. Um, what I make from the statement is that they are on on notice that, that – uh, the embarrassment of this, coupled with the last couple of seasons, demands that things be better this year or there will be changes. Um, at this time was the key phrase in that statement. Ed B says, what current or former coach would you compare Vincent to? Yeah, I, I got to that earlier in one of my answers. And I don't, uh, Ed B, I don't, nothing jumps out. He's not as uh, folksy and comfortable as Todd Richards. Um, he, he, Gerard's his own guy. Hitch is his own guy. Um, and it's not a, he's certainly not Kinger, uh, maybe Kinger, but Kinger is just so unique and 
special that, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's his own guy. Maybe there's that. Maybe there is no comparison. None of them jump out to me at this point, though. I can say that. Uh, Ethan G., being in the same position as Larson a couple of years ago, how is Pascal going to go into the head coaching position and have more success than Lars? Well, I think uh, he's a different person than Lars. I don't think it's just your resume or your reputation that that prompts the re- response from the team. It's it's who you are and how you handle things. And I think he deserves a, deserves a chance. And let's give that to him. I, I don't know how it's going to go. Um, thoughts on Voronkov's Traverse City tournament, says Jonathan C. Um, well, first of all, he's huge. <laughs> he is huge. And he plays big. And I think the small ice is going to help him. Uh, he, he, he buried a couple of guys. He's a, just a bastard along the walls. Um, but you can see there was an adjustment. I, uh, the overwhelming opinion from the, the people who, co- who watched him and coached him, this is Vogel Huber and this is Yarmo. He got, he got dramatically better in Saturday's game than he was in Sunday's game. And the reason he, he played from, uh, sorry, than he was in Thursday's game. The reason he played Sunday is because he's still getting used to North American style, North American um, sized rinks. Um, so he needs as many games as he can get. He was playing on the wing, which too, which was, was telling to me, he has played center before. Um, and yeah, so he was good. He was, it was impressive. He's big. He moves pretty well for a, for a big guy. And, uh, now you want to see him against NHL's talent, but I think he can be a player. Um, Babcock came in with the reputation of making a solid defensive team. Now that he's gone, who takes that charge? Really good question. Steve McCarthy is still the coach here. Uh, but coaching, of course, is more than just the defenseman. Um, that's something that, that they're going to have to, to work on. I'll be curious to see who the other hire is. But listen, there are a better team under Pascal Vincent than they would have been under Mike Babcock. Forget about the hockey X's and O's. If you've got this stuff going on in the background, you, you can't be a good team on the ice. They are a better team with Pascal Benson than they would have been with Mike Babcock. Um, Cole M says, hey, Porty, just curious if you could share your initial impressions of Patrick Laine and how he's come into camp this year. Well, this is going to be a story early in, in training camp that I'm planning to write. There's something different about Patrick Laine. And I want to be careful here. I want to talk to him and others. I don't, I don't know him well. I don't pretend to. We have a professional relationship that's fine. It works. Um, but there's a different air about him. I was a little surprised to hear that he was the player that took Fantilli under his wing. That really impressed me. And I, not to speak ill of the Patrick Liney I thought I knew before, but this is not, he didn't seem a player. If you would have said which veteran player took Boone Jenner under his wing, um, he would not have been a guy that I asked. This just wasn't really in his toolbox beforehand. So I'm really, uh, impressed and curious by that. There seems to be a seriousness about him um, right now where I, f- I, I again, I want to explore this further, but he seems different. And I think in a good way. Um, so let's see. I, there's a guy that could benefit from Pascal Vincent being his coach. It's the guy that knows him really uh, better than, than anybody. Um, Rob W says no Babcock question. Thank you, Rob. There's a rumor that Bally Sports wants to drop the Reds and CBJ and keep the Guardians and Cavs. I've not heard that. 
I don't think that. Um, I don't know where the TV is going, though. I, I will say this. I spent some time this summer trying to figure out all of this TV mess that they're going through. And it's such a changing world now for many of us. Um, and the answer I got more than anything is that nobody really knows what's going to happen. And I, I just find that hard to believe. Um, I think a lot of people know and they don't want to talk about it. But my understanding is that the Blue Jackets are going to start the season in the same situation they've been the last few with Bally's where their games will be aired. I don't know where it goes long term because the finances on that side are a bit of a mess. Um, but as we as a staff, uh, an athletic staff, we've been working to uh, to put together something meaningful on this story. But there's just so much unanswered right now. Um, a couple more text questions we can get to here. Uh, Eric asked, did you get the sense the front office has any idea how they messed up the Babcock hire? I mean, I think they, if they have learned from this, I think that is going to lead to a different interviewing process in the future, especially if it's a person that is a, a controversial hire. I would hope. Um, so I, yeah, I think they messed up by talking to people who liked Mike Babcock. They were looking for, um, you know, it's how some people take the media. I, th I think they, a lot of people like to, um, they like to, to watch media that assures them that their thinking is right. Um, that affirms them rather than informs them. And I think that's kind of how the process went. And if you're, if your process is looking for affirmation rather than information, you're not really vetting somebody. Uh, you're just, you're just giving yourself cover. Tim B says, I expected Fantilli to fall to three. Carlson was a better prospect, way better passer in brain. All right, Tim. Tim works for the Anaheim Ducks, I'm going to assume. Where do you see Texier being in the lineup? You know, that's the one that is of all of the players. I mean, is Line going to be winger or center? Is Johnson going to play center? Texier is the one that I'd have. My God, I got, I have no idea. Is he your second line right winger? Maybe. Don't think so. Maybe. Is he a center? Could be. He's played center before. Is he your third line left winger? I think that's where he makes sense. Alexander Texier is a fascinating player because he can play up and down the lineup. Truly up and down the lineup. He could be the fit on the first line at some point. Pretty good player, Alexander Texier. Um, so let's see. I, I don't... Uh, I don't, there is no place I see him being in the lineup because I think there's just so many variables. Um, I've heard a lot of people say the Blue Jackets tanked. I don't see it like that. Could you set the record straight? Uh, I think they had an understanding in November that this season could not be salvageable. Voracek out. The big one was Warensky out. Bean out. Line A hurt. They knew they were cooked. At that point, they made the decisions to not pursue trades to salvage the season because they thought it was too far gone. If you think that is tanking, then they tanked. To me, tanking is intentionally losing games. And if you, wa if you, if you watch their last couple of games, I don't know how you can say that they tanked. They beat Pittsburgh. They knocked Pittsburgh out of the lineup. Um, they, they effed up their draft pick at the end, James. So I, I don't think they tanked, but, but yes, by the early parts of the season, this season became about the next year's draft pick. 
and no attempts were made further um, to to improve. So the last season was long. It was arduous. It was stupid. It was ridiculous. It was a lot of things. This last week in Blue Jackets land has been preposterous and uproarious and and difficult and in some ways disgusting. Um, let us hope we can move beyond that. The puck drops tomorrow, Thursday at training camp. We've gone for about 70 minutes here. Thanks for all the questions. Thanks for the comments. Um, I hope we got to everybody. I kind of think we did. Um, we'll start to do these a little more regularly. Sorry about blowing it off Friday. It just, things got away from us. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of questions that I, I knew I couldn't answer that I was trying to find answers to at that point. And uh, so it couldn't couldn't uh, happen. But great to be with you today. Thanks for your time. And I uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Always appreciate you.